Hi, and welcome to the Village Church Podcast Show, Episode 17. In this episode, uh, Josh Patterson and I are going to be discussing uh, Halloween and holidays, and then we've got a special guest with us, Brad Lominick, uh, who will be on our show talking about his new book, uh, H3 Leadership. Uh, Brad is the author and former president of the Catalyst Conference, as well as multiple other things, so eager to talk to Brad. But before we, uh, before we get him in here, Josh, we're about to get started in a series of holidays here in the U.S. where we're going to move from Halloween to Thanksgiving to Christmas into New Year's. And we like to, apparently, we like to really compact our holidays in uh, here in the U.S. And so uh, I want to talk to you first about Halloween and, and how to think rightly about Halloween. I know that there's still quite a bit of controversy around it for some reason. And so um, do do you and your family celebrate Halloween? I mean, do you guys dress up? Do you let your kids go out and trick-or-treat? Do they dress up as um, scary things or do they all have to be Bible characters? Like, do you put on a robe <laughs> and are, are you like Moses every year in your dad bathrobe and sandals? Every year. Okay, so how do you Man, think about Halloween? Well, I think I think that's a good question. We, you know, you said how do we celebrate it, and and we're not really celebrating the origins of the Halloween holiday, and I think that's where all the controversy gets gets kind of mixed up. I realize that Halloween is a holiday that is uh, it comes from pagan roots. I mean, there's really no escaping that, and uh, there's no point in trying to pretend that it doesn't. Um, but I can certainly attest that my family and the families that I know and walk with, uh, we're not celebrating pagan roots. Uh, Halloween for us is an opportunity to be out, uh, interact with neighbors, uh, get the kids dressed up, have a good time. Uh, it, it's just a strategic opportunity. It's one that my, my kids look forward to, uh, not because of anything pagan, but because of the unbelievable opportunity to dress up as a superhero and get candy. I mean that that's that's what they're doing, and uh, and so for us, it, man, it's a, it's a great time. It's a hustle because we've got a lot of kids, and and you know you're up late and doing all that kind of stuff. But it's somewhat of a simple night. It, it's a, it's a night out with neighbors. It's a night out with friends, and it gives the kids a great opportunity. It's like a gigantic play date. Uh, and <laughs> with the ages of our kids, you know that's sure. that's what Halloween is for us, and and your question about dressing up do i dress up the answer is sometimes i do sometimes you do sometimes i and and you know what so do you hey there are certain things that don't need to be aired in public that was one of them now um i i would you know one of the things and i don't know the contexts of uh the men and women who are, are listening to this show in particular but um in the suburbs of dallas where we are everyone has back porches, but few people have front porches. And so Halloween, if we think about Halloween as being an opportunity to redeem a holiday, not so much like we'll talk here in a bit about Thanksgiving and Christmas and kind of the shadows there uh, of a greater substance, but 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 the shadow, the substance behind the shadow of Halloween is dark and evil, right? So um, if we think about just redeeming a holiday that our uh, our culture has embraced, then in, in the suburbs of Dallas where there are massive back porches and no real front porches, th- this is one of the few opportunities you have every year where everyone's out front and, and all the neighbors are coming out. And it, I, I know that historically we've, we've 
put out a big bounce house and, and we've put bounce houses around the city in strategic places and then given away like not those little snack pack candy things, but like the big candies and uh, and then just tried to to get to know and reach out and love our neighbors well. And that's one of the things. And churches have done this for a long time now. You think of fall festivals. That's what the, the larger churches or the churches that do kind of fall festivals, they're trying to redeem uh, a holiday, not just for their people, but in terms of outreach and creating a safe place for people to go. And so uh, I, I think it's a great opportunity that that I would hope that that Christians everywhere and churches everywhere would take advantage of in regards to getting to know their communities and their cities and the the blocks and and neighborhoods that sit around their churches. But, but yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And and I don't. I, sorry to cut you off, but I, I do. There is stuff on Halloween that I don't appreciate. Uh, there is like the house by uh, there my, is, like that house by my house, bro. What's it's, going on there? Yes, yeah, I'm a little frightened. It's a little frightened. scary. It and, is scary. I agree, and I'm a man. I know. I know. There's just some stuff that's disturbing, and and I've got to uh, walk my kids through that, um, and and at sometimes honestly keep them away from it, uh, but they're. There, there is no sheltering my kids uh, because my neighbors, our next door neighbors. <laughs> That's true. They decorate. Uh, they decorate, bro, for Halloween, and they don't decorate like with pumpkins. They they decorate the stuff that is uh, graphic, and I just there's there's dead bodies coming up out of their ground. Yeah. What about and, the dead uh, baby swing at that yeah. house by mine? Yeah. So yeah, Which people is, are incredibly offensive and um so for us there we can't avoid that conversation with our kids and we couldn't wait till they were old enough um and so there, there are some of those realities that that people take a, ho- a holiday and just take it in a completely different direction yeah uh, but for us as a christian family we have the opportunity to to use this holiday uh to to spend time with family to spend time with friends and to meet and engage neighbors and that's really what it is. And, and you hit on all those, everything from fall festivals to barbecues to bounce houses to great candy selections. That's what it's been, man. And, uh, and it's been good. Yeah. It's been good. Now, Halloween's the first, and then three more follow. I mean, in pretty quick succession. So it, it's like once Halloween happens, the, the, the whole kind of feel uh, of the, the fall shifts, and, and now you're headed straight towards Thanksgiving and then right into Christmas, and then right into New Year's. Now, Thanksgiving and Christmas in particular do have some substance behind it that's tied to, in a very real way, our faith and and what we believe. And so, man, I'd I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, how we can avoid getting lost in the shadows and really get our eyes underneath Thanksgiving and underneath Christmas and, and look at the substance to which those holidays are pointing to. Yeah, this is uh there's a challenge to it because the pace of the season picks up and it's, it's almost especially for pastors. Caught. Oh yeah. You get caught in a current, uh, that's, that's challenging. Uh, it's not insurmountable, but it, it is challenging. And I think one of the, one of the great things that as a church we have done that has served me as an individual. And so I think collectively what the church has done, uh, that has benefited my family is introduced a, a liturgy of sorts of just kind of this season is marked by Advent. And and even though Thanksgiving precedes Advent, uh, it, it, it's, there, there's a marking of the season that 
that allows my family to, it, it forces us to slow down. Uh, it forces us to slow down and consider. It forces us to slow down and read, uh, to think about things together. So, you know, we'll, we walked through an Advent guide last year. We'll do that again this year. And all of that helps kind of reframe the holiday for us in a way that really allows us to mine the depths of the jewels that are really in it and, and to know the significance of, of waiting for that day, waiting in anticipation. Now I'm talking about Christmas, but waiting for that Christmas morning and feeling the, um, the eagerness for it and longing for it. And so you think about the first advent of the Lord and, and those longings, but then let those longings build into his second advent and longing for that day. And so, man, that's been a really, really helpful uh, liturgical tool, I, I say, that, that, that the church has, has done, and, and for us. And, and I think for a lot of people, you know, you, you have to consider how your family is, and, and there's some brokenness in our family, which means that, that yeah. Christmas and Thanksgiving is not simple. I mean, we're, we've got, if you've seen the movie Four Christmases, or if you've heard about that movie and done a bit that you've seen it, um, that's a little bit more of our reality yeah. in our family, where we're we've, we've got several places to be and several places to go, and um, and and really getting my heart in a spot that's right and ready to do that on those days. Uh, you know, the energy, uh, but but knowing this is worth it because every family that we're with, it's good to be with them, um, and so. I think those are some of the things. You know, Thanksgiving for me, man, and, and I'd love to hear this for you, uh, has has really taken on uh, a greater sense of meaning and significance, obviously for you, sure. uh, as it relates to all that you walked through five years ago, uh, six years. Yeah, it'll year. be six this year. Crazy, huh? Um, but, but Thanksgiving is, is one of those holidays that, and I just appreciate more and more just the opportunity to slow down just for a bit, before football kicks off that afternoon and all of that, and just consider a heart of gratitude, um, and and I love that, and and obviously I'm I'm somewhat tied up into the story uh, with you uh, because of how much I care for you and care for your family. And so Thanksgiving really has has taken on new meaning, not just for me but for my family and obviously for our church. And so um, yeah, obviously, obviously, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Thanksgiving. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Christmas. Yeah, it's so we're we're really similar in how we approach it. I, I I think for us the the depth of Thanksgiving, you can feel a weight in my house in Thanksgiving that then leads to a, a sure. lot of gratitude as we move through the the morning. And so it, in fact, well, this will be year six, and I don't know that Thanksgiving hasn't been marked by some early morning tears in my house. Uh, up, uh, and, and so we'll see if that happens again this year. It kind of sneaks up on everybody, but uh, but yeah. Hey, I, I think the thing to to kind of round off this um, this kind of dialogue is just to encourage the brothers and sisters who are listening that they need to go into this season with a plan. Uh, otherwise, yeah. the current will sweep them away. And so our Advent guide is up and for free will be up and is free for them to use in their families. And that we have some resources that are available if they want to use us. But but if they don't, you just have to have a plan that you're going to get swept away and your, yeah, your you kids will. and your family are going to lose a really beautiful opportunity um, to see and, and savor Jesus in this season. And so, um, man, we're going to be back here in just a moment with Brad Lominick. I'm uh, excited to talk with him. He has a unique perspective 
uh, on leadership and how it's played itself out in the church and in other places. So we'll be right back with Brad Lominick. Okay, welcome back to the Village Church Podcast Show, episode seventeen. Uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite things about the podcast show is I get the opportunity to kind of uh, have friends on and, and talk with people that I've known for years. and And today's guest uh, fits that category. Brad Lominick, uh has is the author uh, of the Catalyst Leader, and and he's got a new book out that we'll talk about here in a bit. He's a leadership consultant and speaker, the founder of Blink. Uh, most of you, if you know him, probably know him uh, as the former president and visionary of the Catalyst Conference. He now actually is a strategic advisor for Catalyst. And, and man, there's a lot I could say, but but ultimately, Brad's just been a friend and a guy that I've enjoyed getting to know really over the course of the last decade, which sounds, uh, which making me start to sound really old. And so, Brad, welcome. Thanks, Matt. Makes me sound old too. Well, well, you are, brother. I mean, this is truth in love. You, you, you are not as young as you once were. So, I'm in my, I'm in the 40s club, which uh, you know, 40 is a new 30, right? That's what, that's what I say now that I'm 40. Yes, yes, I believe it is. Um, hey, will you talk a little bit about? I, you know, I've said this to you, but you have such a unique kind of experience in and around leadership. Uh, can you kind of flesh some of that out and tell those listening about your experience and, and how it's unique and yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think the last 15 years for me have been probably my most defined and uh, intense leadership part of my journey. And I hooked up with, got connected to John Maxwell back in the late 90s, early 2000. And there was, you know, a handful of us that were connected to John and helping John do conferences. And that was, out of that was Birth Catalyst. And there was a bunch of people that were involved in the beginning. Uh, and Maxwell really gave us wings to fly. And uh, folks like Dave Lyons was part of that and Jeff Schinnebarger. And, of course, everybody recognizes Andy Stanley is so connected to Catalyst. And, uh, you know, we, we really felt like it was something that we could start and then uh, create a new experience for our generation. And so I've gotten to, man, have a seat at the side of the table, uh, at the table, but also sort of, you know, next to the table and off the stage and behind the stage and, stage right for for many, many years to not only put on conferences, but also just to hang out with leaders I really admire and respect. And so I feel like, you know, so much much of my journey has been been leadership by osmosis because I've just been really blessed and and had huge opportunities to be around people that have taught me a lot. So I don't, my, my expertise in leadership is so much more about who I've got to hang with compared to sort of, you know, my own smarts. Uh, I'm just a knucklehead from Oklahoma. I mean, I grew up outside of Tulsa, and I, you know, I'm I'm just one of those guys that like that got to show up in the right places, and I know that. Like, I'm really self-aware of that. So, everything that I write about and speak on and try to be an expert on is has really been because God put me in places that I didn't deserve to be. So when you think about those men and women that you were around, that you were kind of absorbing through osmosis. Um, and, and this isn't meant so you can name drop, but um, who, are, who are some of those men and women that, that most distinctively shaped you as you consider leader, think about leadership, and practice leadership? Yeah, well, definitely Maxwell. I mean, you know, John is, was sort of the grandfather and now is the grandfather of leadership. Uh, he's a patriarch, you know. I mean, he, he taught me so much, and 
getting get to travel with John and be part of his organization for many years. Um, I think he he not only proved that his writing was legit and it was validated through watching him lead, but also he, he showed me that um, part of the responsibility is for all of us to, to embrace our role as leaders, wherever we are. And that was such a, a paradigm shift for me of, of, wait, I don't have to have sort of the CEO title to be a leader. I can be a leader from any position in any organization. And all of us are leaders because, as Maxwell says, leadership is influence. So that was a huge – that's been a huge um, lesson, and getting to hang out with him was really impactful. Um, you know, I would say I would say both from a pastoral and, and friend perspective, Andy Stanley and Louis Giglio have both been friends of mine, and I don't name drop those uh, because I'm trying to impress anybody. I've just gotten to spend a lot of time around those guys. Uh, Louis more is my pastor and friend, and Andy is more of my friend and also Catalyst speaker and the, the voice of Catalyst, many might say, over the years. Um, Craig Rochelle has been somebody that also is, you know, I think for me, been a friend and a, and a peer and, and has, I, I love, here's what I love about all these folks that I've mentioned is that there's a sense, you know, this, this idea of hungry, humble hustle that I'm writing about with this new book, I feel like they all live that out. And, you know, the thing I, I love about um, somebody like Andy Stanley and Andy, you know, is, I would argue is probably the most impactful voice in Christian leadership today. But, man, that guy is hungry. Like, I've watched Andy sit in, in meetings or conferences or events, and he's, he's not only, like, speaking, but he's writing stuff down when other people are speaking. Yeah, that, There's a posture. The, the first time he sat in one of my breakouts at Catalyst, which was unnerving, because one of the questions I got was, hey, how do you decide which book of the Bible that you're going to preach through next. And, and Andy had been in something where he had, he had said, and I knew what he meant by it, but he said that, uh, you know, he thought preaching through books of the Bible was a bit lazy. And so I was like, why would you ask me that with Andy Stanley in the room? And then, but what I, afterwards he came up and sat down next to me. Now keep in mind at this time, I'm like 31, 32. And, and he sat down with me and he'd taken like three or four pages of notes off of just the way I was answering questions and asked for clarifications and ask. And, and it, it struck me that Andy, who was, you know, super kind of famous in the evangelical world, it was still, I mean, here I am, I'm 31. Our church is running a couple thousand, but he, he was intrigued by how I was seeing things and wanted to know uh, why yeah. I was seeing things the way I was. And so I remember thinking after that, that man, I, when I'm 45, 50 years old, I still want to be, I want to have the humility to sit in a room with a guy who's 28, 29, 30, and still be desiring to learn and see well and understand. So just to, just to affirm what you're saying about Andy, I, I, that, that was so, that's so true about him. Yeah. I, I remember one of the early days, one of the early events of Catalyst, I think the second year of Catalyst, and there was a panel with Irwin McManus, who many at that time, this was like 2001, and people were like, who's Irwin McManus? It was Irwin and John Maxwell and I believe Jim Kuzis, who wrote the Leadership Challenge book, and, Max, and, and Andy on stage. And they were asking questions, and there was this panel conversation, and Irwin was just dropping these leadership gold nuggets. And Maxwell, you know, in the middle of this panel, he's, he looks down in the front row at his assistant, Linda, longtime assistant Linda, still is his assistant, and he kind of gives her the look of, hey, hand me my pad. And, he, you know, Maxwell for years still does, writes on a yellow pad, yellow legal pad. <laughs> yeah. 
that she brings the pad up on stage and he he starts taking notes in the middle of, of Irwin's uh, answers to a question and it's really awkward and distracting but it was that point of you know what like here's Maxwell the guy putting this event together and he's still willing to take notes during a panel even if, it, if it's awkward yeah. and of course the famous thing that happened at that point was Andy said John why weren't you taking notes during my answer <laughs> <laughs> It's brilliant. Of course, Maxwell said something, you know, said something pithy at that point. I'm sure. I just love that premise that we've never arrived. We're, we're never, we're never the, you know, the, the the person standing on the top of the mountain. Even though we are, our posture has to be still. I'm still climbing. I'm still the hungry second, not the arrogant first. Yeah. Amen. Um, now, so let, as, as it, go ahead, oh, Josh. Matt, hey. Go ahead, Josh. You good? Well, yeah. I'm sitting over here. I mean, I'm in Dallas, not in. I know. Vale or uh, wherever you yeah, are. Where, where are you today, Josh, by the way? I mean, just for all the listeners and the community that's part of this podcast, just can you describe where you are? Just staying hungry, bro. Just being <laughs> humble and hustling. Yeah, which is what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about. I am in, uh, I'm on location in Colorado and uh, doing a little work out here. So it's good. Don't hate. Are the are the Don't are hate. the leaves changing yet? Are the, the aspen showing up? Yeah, they're uh, they're sparkling and uh, glittering. Yeah, it's spectacular. It really is. It's a great time of year in Colorado. I know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thanks for bringing that up, guys. Yeah. Don't hate. That's yeah. the that's the fourth H in leadership. Don't yeah, hate. Keep Don't suffering hate. for Jesus. Yeah, keep suffering for Jesus. <laughs> No, I wanted to jump in a little bit. Just you know, I love the stories, and I could I could listen to those all day long. And and I love how it, it sounds like you have just kind of taken a step back over your last fifteen years, and maybe even beyond that, and just identified some really clear categories that are both biblical and and what you've seen play out experientially with the book. Um, so the idea of staying humble being hungry and uh, always hustling. I love those categories. Can you just flesh those out briefly for us? What, what drove you to, to kind of see it that way and categorize it that way? I think for me, my leadership mantra, and this is not just a, it's not just a really good title of a book and it doesn't just pop off the, off the cover. Well, uh, this has been my mantra since I was in my early twenties. And when people would ask me, even just post-college, I would always say, I want to be humble, I want to stay hungry, and I would always want to hustle. And then over the years, a catalyst, interns would come in, and they're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they would say, Brad, okay, pare it down. Like, you know, we get it, we understand leadership, but really what's, what's the mantra that you live by? And, and it was always these, these three words. So this has been something I've tried to live out. And um, I think, you know, the, the idea of humility is, is, is based around the concept of who am I? And, and humility really wrestles with this, with this premise of it's not about me. And we all understand humility. We, you know, I mean, if we're leaders who follow Jesus, then there's a, there's a posture that says, man, I'm, Jesus is the most humble servant that's ever existed as a leader. So therefore, if I'm following Jesus, I need to be more like him. So humility makes sense. Hung, hunger is that posture that says I've never arrived, that I'm always willing to learn more, that that my, I have to always be leaning forward. My, my nose has to be over the tips of my skis. And if, you, if you're a snow skier, you know that. Like, the steeper the, the, the hill, the more you have to lean out over your tips of your skis in order to stay uh, moving down the mountain without crashing. And so that posture of hungry is just 
man, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always insatiably curious and willing to innovate and look at creativity in a whole new way. And then hustle, man, I, I love hustle. And I think, you know, culture sort of, uh, they, culture kidnapped that word from the Christian community. And all of a sudden it became a really bad thing to say within the Christian world if you were a hustler. And I want to take it back. Like, I want that word back, and I want it to be part of the DNA of, of the Christian community and those who follow Jesus. Is We're known for getting things done. Like, we're, yep. we have a posture that says we will make things happen. We'll, we'll take it across the finish line. And we're always willing to, uh, to, to score, to take things into the end zone. And so many of us, we have ideas, we just leave them on the table. You know, we're, we're, we're vision casters, but we're not executors. And, man, I just I believe that leaders have to be committed to getting it done. Um, and, and here's the important thing about these three is they have to work together. Because I know a lot of leaders who are full of humility that don't do anything. Yep. I, I, also, I also know a lot of leaders who are full of hustle that have no humility to them. And they run over people, and they're arrogant, and they're entitled, and nobody wants to work for them, and they're just complete jerks. So we have to balance these out. These have to be a three-legged stool, and if one of these is out of whack, then it doesn't – like your scorecard of leadership is, is going to be incomplete or, or you're going to get an F. You know, so you can't – you have to have all these working in tandem in order to make sure that your leadership is, is, is good. I love that, man, and, and I love the, uh, the, the call to reclaim the hustle and – yeah, and I, you, you've seen that. I've seen that, Matt. I know you've seen that as well. Just th- there can be in the church a a satisfaction with mediocrity, uh, uh, maybe even a, a lower work ethic, um, a a contentment for for what is less, and not a contentment in a good, godly, my heart is satisfied in Jesus contentment, a. Um, and apathy, and and so to to kind of ring the bell of hustle, man, I love that. I well, love and that. it yeah, you know, resonates. unfortunately, it tends to be theologically justified as, as though um, working hard and and hustling are in some way um, contrary to relying on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I mean, I just think this is. I, I think I, when I've heard it. Um, justified. I, I think it's almost always theologically justified in that you don't want to, you know, you're not trying to create something. You want the Holy Spirit to do something. And yet I, I think looking at the counsel of scripture and an understanding of how the Holy Spirit works is, is God has decided in his sovereign reign to utilize the gifts yeah. and talents of men and women in a given time and a given place for the glory of his name. Uh, and so we don't do that by, you know, if you look at Jesus's parable by burying our talent in the sand, but by grinding, investing, working, Praying and and really saturating and submitting all of that to the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, if you, it, I I think the reason this gets frustrating to me is if you if you take this idea of non excellence or whatever and you plug it into the the things that more theologically minded people or really theologically minded people think of, they they would never like that. They, they no one would ever say that 
I I don't need to study too much or too hard in my sermon prep. I just need to rely on the Holy Spirit that I should just kind of wing it. Like no one would ever say that. So the expectation is that I give myself over to study and prayer, that I create a lot of space to wrestle with the Lord and consider the cultural moment I'm in, how the Word of God applies, and then plead with the Holy Spirit to do something with it throughout study on into the delivery of that sermon and being prayerful after it was preached that it might bear great fruit. And so it's the same way hustling organizationally uh, as it is hustling in, in a way that's preaching, shepherding, caring. I mean, even, you know, I've got a meeting later today that I'm, I don't have the kind of words that are necessary to turn the page on it. I'm going to need the Holy Spirit of God to do a profound work in this person's life. Or, or man, we're really both stuck, and, and I can feel the weight of that. And, man, I've read a ton on counseling and biblical counseling and the right questions to ask. And, and so I've done the hard work of being prepared going in. But I still got I've got nothing without the Holy Spirit. So it's better that I go in at least prepared with a structure and system that that has some rootedness and some historic kind of credibility while leaning on the Holy Spirit than just going in blind and going, Well, God's sovereign, he's gonna work it out. And so I, I also kind of appreciate the the hustle. Brett, I, I would love for you to talk just a bit about, um, you know, I've got a, a lot of friends that do different things, and you, you've seen, we, we've seen various books, leadership books in particular, resources that are really good, but not distinctively Christian. Um, and it seems yeah. it seems that you're a Christian writing a leadership book, but the book does, it, it's not hard to see that you love Jesus and you believe in him in the writing of this book. So, so we talk a little bit about what makes this book on leadership distinctively Christian. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I feel like in some ways I am, uh, I'm a tweener, and I, I'm not a pastor, obviously. I, I'm, I am a, a believer. You know, I, I follow Jesus, and I'm, I'm, I've been part of, of multiple ministries and organizations that, that are Christian in nature. Uh, but I feel like, I feel like there's a, there's a place, there's a role that I can feel, that I can fill that is, is taking the world to faith and, and my faith. And mixing that up with with the idea of leadership and and understanding how to run an organization, my own story of of many of my failures. I mean, so much of this book is about me looking back at some of my journey and going, here's some things I didn't do well. Here's some things I've learned over the years, and here's some people that have helped teach me. But at the end of the day, like, man, I'm I, I actually feel like in many ways, Matt, that like my my um, my customer, or at least the person I'm writing this book to, is is somebody who's walking into uh, the marketplace every day, maybe, and and they follow Jesus, or they may not, for that for that matter. And I've I've gotten lots of feedback from people, especially friends of mine, who are sort of questioning faith, or they're they're wrestling with faith, they're they're sort of on their spiritual journey, but they haven't crossed over the line yet of of following Jesus, and they're going, Brad, thank you for writing something. It's really practical, but also it's really authentic. And I, I've found that, man, if I'm trying to be a leadership author who is hiding my faith, then I'm not being real. Yeah. But walking into this book and going, man, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus, and I'm full on committed to, uh, to that call on my life and that sense of who I am. And I'm not going to in any way back down from that. But with that context, let me tell you some things that I've learned over the years. 
And so I'm actually getting more feedback from people who don't follow Jesus saying, man, I love this book, and I want to share it with my entire company. And I'm going, wow, like, okay, man. And they're saying, Brad, would you come in and talk about leadership with our for-profit secular company? And this seems to be a place that um, that I think God has given me an entrance into is to walk into some places that I'm not sure if I was sort of just waving the Christian banner full full bore that I would be invited into. So I, it's, a, it's a tension that I'm trying to manage and a new reality for me uh, at this stage of life of, of how to do that well and with purpose, you know, and, and doing that effectively. So I'm still trying to figure it out. Hey, so do this real quick. Um, I, we're, we're starting to get close to needing to wrap up, but we had J.R. Vassar on just a couple of weeks ago, and we talked a lot about Christian leaders in the workplace. And, man, I, yeah. I would love – I think this is a topic that's coming up more and more. I think Tim Keller helped introduce this back into the Christian conversation. Would you, would you talk a little bit about being a Christian leader in a secular workplace? What, what are the marks that should distinguish us? And maybe the three H's are those marks, right? But, but what, what should distinguish us as Christian leaders in, in the secular workplace? Yeah, I would definitely say, I mean, these, these three um, postures of humble, hungry, and hustle. And I would even dive down a little bit more into the idea of excellence. I mean, Josh brought it up, and, and I think it's so important. Like, man, if you walk in as a follower of Jesus into any company, any environment, organization, any industry, and, and you absolutely kill it, you do your job well, you do it better than anyone else, you're, you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to be the best barista that, that Starbucks has ever seen, or I'm going to be the best spreadsheet creator that this company has ever come across. Man, I, it gives us so much of a, of a sense of credibility if we'll do that. And so many times we, we walk in and our only, our only sense of identity is, is that you're an average worker who has good intentions to try to convert me. And people who work with, they're just looking at us going, Man, would you just get that project done? Like, right. would, would you just would you just actually turn in your report on time? And, yeah. and if that happened, man, I would respect you. I would actually listen to what you have to say. But you're 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 banging the gong with no respect from me because you haven't built any credibility based on being able to do your job well. So that, I would I would provide that. There's lots more I could say, but just to think about one thing is. Go in and just be the best in the world at what you do. That's good. Hey, Brad. I, uh, man, I, I really appreciate this conversation, and and Matt, I'm glad you brought Vassar up because I was I was thinking just about that as well. And so I'll just speak to this pastorally, um, and thinking about the opportunity that that the church has to uh, really affirm and equip and unleash businessmen and women into that very context that Brad just described, to be these kinds of leaders, these kinds of teammates, these kinds of employees, those who are humble and who are hungry and who hustle, that that, that adds a credibility to the conversation that they're in at lunch. That adds a credibility to the phone call that happens after work. And, and I think, man, this is a really big missional strategic opportunity that is really overlooked and underutilized. And so... We certainly don't have time to, to dig into that, but Brad, what you just described, I think, is a big, is it's a huge. big, big evangelistic missional opportunity that just simply isn't being seized. But uh, maybe for another another conversation, I do I do want to just ask you this, and you mentioned this 
as you were uh, beginning to talk about the book, but mistakes that young leaders make. Uh, what, what are you yeah. seeing? What are, what, are, what are the mistakes that, that you see guys, gals making, and, and particularly in the church, just as you've had a really unique view? What are you seeing? Yeah. yeah. Let me give you a couple. Um, one would be that uh, that young leaders, and I love this about them, but it's also a huge warning sign. I mean, the, the neon lights are flashing. Is they are, They're short-sighted, yeah. and they don't take a 30- or 40-year perspective. And so everything about a young leader right now is is overnight success and, and a short-term, you know what, I, I deserve that in order, because I deserve it, then I'm, I'm not willing to stick around. And so stick with in this perseverance, the long haul. And it doesn't mean that, you know, if you need to go, if, if you have a two-year run in an organization and it's time to move on, that you shouldn't. But, man, take the posture that says, how can I, how can I be saturated in potentially a, a culture or an organization or on a team. Um, that's the first one. The second one would be that during our 20s nowadays, young leaders think that if I haven't changed the world by the time I'm 29, that I've failed. <laughs> and we we put so much pressure, it's the Zuckerberg effect, right? It's, it's, it's the Facebook phenomenon which says, if I don't start that new company or the social innovation startup, you know, the, the Charity Water or the Toms or – you know, the giving keys that, that I've failed in life. And that's why so many 28-year-olds are at home in their parents' basement depressed. And, you know, this is unfair, but my advice to a young leader is if you find yourself in that place, just go go do something. Like, go start to, to show your street cred by, by taking that Starbucks barista job. You know, go be an intern. I mean, go start to develop some things that will create work ethic in you. And we've got to, we've got to get away from this idea that you've got to solve the world's problems by the time you're 30. Uh, we, that's just not, it's not normal. Well, and Matt, like when, when you look at yourself at 25, I mean, like, you know, total you, clown. The, the advice you would give, you're right. I mean, me too. Like all of us were, we were total, like more, I was riding horses in Colorado at 26. <laughs> That sounds awesome. I'd like to ride. It actually was awesome. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, I, I didn't know anything about life at that point. So I just think that's a huge issue that young leaders need to free themselves up to go, man, I, I, I may be, I may be in, in a place where that I don't feel like I'm actually accomplishing anything. But you know what? I'm going to be so faithful to this assignment because that now will introduce you to the next. And your, your ability to kill it in that, in that season and be faithful is actually the scorecard that that when when we get to heaven, I believe like if we were faithful with that, you know, the small thing, then we're going to not only be given more, but we're actually going to get the scorecard that's an A. And don't look at the big opportunity as more important in the eternal perspective. Yeah, that's your faithfulness the, right now is what's is what's giving you the A. On so the scorecard. so true. In fact, it's I, I've said. For years, the, the high-capacity leaders that I come across almost all have spent a chunk of time working for someone else, making someone else look better, and, and kind of doing the, the behind-the-scenes tasks uh, that are really necessary to prepare you for, uh, at least if you're going to walk lowly, you know, if you're going to stay humble. You're gonna, it, it, it's necessary for you to kind of grasp all that goes on 
for that kind of one moment in the sun. And so, Brad, thanks so much for being on with us today. Again, we yeah, we Thank literally you, have been encouraged and, and love your ministry, brother, and what God's called you to. And so pray as you've been listening to this uh, podcast that you found it helpful that some of the nuggets that, that Brad's kind of laid before us would would be heard and understood and applied to your life. Uh, we'll be back with episode 18 of the Village Church Podcast Show on October 23rd. Until then, take care. Be blessed.